0: Today we'll be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you've got a, a Bible, do open it at that. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teach the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you shall come a ruler, you shall shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, When they opened, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good, I'm going to pray for Pete before he comes up. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you communicate to us through your word. Um, thank you uh, for Pete and the time that he spent uh, preparing his sermon today. Thank you for what a privilege it is to hear uh, your word being spoken Um, I pray that you would speak through Pete, pray that you'd give him clarity in in, in what he says. I pray for us that we would be um, alert, that, uh, yeah, that we'd go away today feeling convicted and and just more importantly, uh, in awe of you today. Amen.
1: Keep that open if you can. I guess it's a really familiar passage, um, but uh, we will look at it, I hope, afresh this morning. Like I suspect several of you here, I had the opportunity the other week, after months of not going to the cinema, had the chance to go and see if this is going to play for me. Anyone seen this? I've in fact seen it twice in the end. Um, The long-awaited three-times-delayed Bond film. Um, All the classic things that you come to expect. Um, There's nothing quite like seeing a film for the first time, is there? When you don't quite know how... I mean, with Bond, you kind of know what's going to happen, but maybe you don't. Maybe there's an unexpected twist. Maybe there are a few turns here and there, there are a few characters who come along, uh, with Bond specifically you wonder you know, who's going to be the top villain, how bad's he going to be, how many cars are going to be smashed up in the most ridiculous ways possible, um, and just you know, how many times can Bond avoid certain death. And seeing a film for the first time is, is unique, isn't it? Or like reading a book for the first time, you, you get the story once and, and then you know it. Um, The anticipation, the wondering what's going to happen, the the, the, the questions about how the plot will develop, how the twists and turns will develop. And when you've seen it for that first time, you can never quite redo that. But some films bear watching again and again, don't they? I wonder if you've got your favorites, perhaps films that come out every Christmas, or films that you could just watch again and again, and it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, you just love it, and almost it gets better and better. Um, this week on Friday, I had the, the great privilege of spending the evening at home with, uh, with Holly and Amy. And uh, I suddenly had a line of a film going through my head. I um, don't know where it had come from, but I thought, let's watch this film. It's a great classic film that I love watching. Turns out I've seen it several times and must have been in and out of the room with it on many, many times. Because as we watched it again, um, I was kind of preempting the gags, preempting the jokes. I was smiling and chuckling before it came. I was singing the next song just before it started. It was the <coughs> classic film. Uh, Shrek. I mean, who doesn't love a good bit of Shrek? Which has the most wonderful line, I know Ben Coffey likes this line, the immortal line from Lord Farquhar, Some of you may die, but it is a sacrifice I am willing to take. Or make, whichever one it is, forget it. Um, But it's a film that I could watch again and again, and actually, I loved watching it with the girls, because they've not seen it for ages. Uh, We remember that when Holly was about three and we were having some work done in the house, basically the only safe place was the sitting room, so we sat her in front of Shrek and almost made her watch it, I think. Uh, But the lines were there for me, but I found myself loving it as I watched it again, chuckling along. And I wonder if the Christmas story is in some ways similar to that familiar film for us. I guess for most of us here, it's a story that we've known for many years. And we know the passages from Luke that we've just heard Graham talk to us about earlier on. We know the passages from Matthew and elsewhere. We perhaps even know some of the Old Testament prophecies. And we know the story... And as we sit here, there are unlikely to be any great surprises. Oh, I didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, or whatever it might be. Now, for some of you, maybe it's much newer. Maybe you do come to it with a fresh pair of eyes. But I suspect for most of us, I know for most of us, we come to it with familiarity. And perhaps a bit like with that favourite film, or that well-known film, maybe we could drift out of the room, go and get a cup of tea, do a bit of the ironing, come back in, and we'd know exactly what was going on. And we wouldn't feel we'd missed very much. Maybe we could drift off in the middle of a sermon and we'd kind of catch up because we know the story, we know what's happened. We switch off mentally as we hear the passage read to us. Well, I hope that as we look at a familiar passage this morning, we might instead be able to enjoy it perhaps afresh, Uh, much more like that favourite film that we can go back to again and again and again and enjoy those lines that are familiar to us, enjoy the story as it develops. Perhaps be reminded of things that we've forgotten, uh, perhaps look at things from a slightly different angle. Uh, And most importantly, I hope, that as we look at the character right at the centre of the Christmas story, we might, along with the magi who go to visit him, rejoice, be filled with joy um, and worship him. So... Let's come to our story. We've got three main characters in the cast. Uh, I suspect none of them looked anything like any of these pictures, just to be clear about that. Um, the first is the Magi, traditionally called wise men. Uh, we actually sing about them as if they were kings, though they probably weren't. We sing about them as if they were three, they were almost certainly weren't. Um, but the Magi, these wise men, these people from a far-off land, And there are two important things for us to know about these magi. The first is that they are not Jews. They are not part of God's chosen people through the Old Testament. So all the stories of the Old Testament that speak of this coming God, coming king, are addressed to God's people, Israel. And the magi are not part of that people from the Old Testament. The second thing uh, that's important is what they do, who they are. I don't know if you can spot the word... Magi, it's just missing a letter, or maybe four, they are magicians. They practice magic. That's where we get our word magic from. They're sorcerers. They're wizards. Perhaps not the Harry Potter type flying around on broomsticks, but they are wizards and sorcerers. In other words, they are, in this category of people that the Old Testament is very clear, are sinful, are wrong. They are practicing things that the Bible says that God says is wrong. So not only are they not part of God's people, but they are overtly, out and out, Sinful, doing things that God says is wrong. The next person in our cast is King Herod. Again, probably very little resemblance to this picture, but I rather liked it. Um, The clue is really, again, in his name, just like the magicians practice magic. He's a king, therefore he practices being a a king. He's a king. He's King Herod. um, Actually, king of the Jewish people. King of the Jews, he may have even been called. Uh, King of this area of Judea, where he's been king for several years at this point. Uh, and he sits in his royal palace in Jerusalem. And then the third character, again, very little resemblance, but uh, Holly and I rather enjoyed looking for correct cartoons that might help with this, is the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These are the religious gurus, the experts in theology. He looks very wise, I thought, though slightly bored. So maybe that works, I don't know. But these are the people who study the scriptures, they know their Old Testament, they know God's promises, they know God's ways. Um, and they're meant to follow God's ways. I say meant to. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we'll know them as Pharisees and Sadducees. That might ring bells for us from other parts of our Bible knowledge as to how these people behave. Much more likely to to live thinking that laws and rules are what matter, rather than God's love. So those are our three main groups of characters. The other is Jesus. He's rather important. Though actually comes along in a fairly small way in the story. But everything builds up towards him so we have the magi king herod and the chief priest and the teacher of the law that's our cast let's think then about the plot briefly let's do an overview of the plot i'm sure any of you could stand up here and do this jesus has already been born so this is some probably some months after the very after his birth and the earliest narratives um we know that because king herod ends up tragically going off and killing all two-year-old boys in bethlehem so we know he was under two because of when it was time, but probably a few months old. So he's out of his emergency com- accommodation in, uh, in Bethlehem, and he's now in some sort of accommodation with his mum. We presume his dad, though he's not mentioned. Uh, J- uh, Mary is in Bethlehem. These magi travel from far away, having heard about this king. I say heard. Actually, what they're doing is they're following some sort of symbol, some sort of sign to them in the stars. Now, some people get heads up about that. What might it be? Might it be a comet? Might it be this? I don't know. It was God. (laughs) A baby has just been born to a virgin mother. That's a miracle. God can, of course, then use any sort of star, any sort of symbol in the sky that he would like to, to bring this about. These people come to Jerusalem, and they come to worship. They say, where's this king? And they come to worship him. But what they do is they come to the current king, perfectly understandably. They go to Jerusalem, to the palace, and they say, Hey, King Herod, we've come to find this new king. Where is he? King Herod, we're told, is greatly disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. All this talk of a new king threatens his authority, his power, his place as the king. So he is disturbed. But he knows enough to gather together these teachers of the law, these scribes. And he says, where will the Christ be born? We'll come back to that word. Where will the Christ be born? And the Magi say, well, we know where he'll be born. He'll be born in Bethlehem. So great, off you go. Magi, off you go. Go to Bethlehem and you'll find him. By the way, come back and tell me so that I can kill him. I mean, so that I can go and see him myself. So off they go. Um, and uh, then they find him. And of course, they worship. And we know well that they give him three gifts, which is where our idea of three Wise men, comes from gold, incense, or frankincense, and myrrh. So that's the plot summary. You could Perhaps it's a lengthy back-of-DVD page, isn't it? But you could condense it a bit further, and that's kind of what's going on. So far, so good. What I want to do is to freeze-frame on some of those things. Rather than fast-forward through things that we know well, or go out and make a cup of tea and drift back in, I want us to freeze-frame and go slowly through some of these things to see what we can spot there this morning. So firstly, let's come to the role of the Magi. The Magi come, and they're looking for someone to go and worship. Well, do you notice who it is that they're looking for? Yes, a king, but do you see what it says? They say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Where is the one born king of the Jews? Well, a couple of things strike me there. One is, where is the one who has been born a king? Not the one who will become a king at some future point, but the one who has been born king. He is king already. Not like you know, going to a primary school and saying, where is the one who is going to become the prime minister in 20 or 30 or 40 years' time? That would be crazy. We wouldn't have a clue. Where is the one who is already born as the king? He is king from eternity. More of that in a moment. But he is already king. That's the important thing to say. Secondly, notice that he is the one born king of the Jews. Interesting. King of the Jews. Now I wonder, take a moment, just think, where else do we hear that phrase? Those of us who know the Christmas story well, perhaps we know other parts of our Gospels well. Is that a familiar title? It's actually only used one, I was surprised to discover, I didn't realize this until this week, it's only used one other place in Matthew. Right at the end of Matthew's Gospel, as they are brutally killing this same king, above his head they place the the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So right at the start of the Gospel of Matthew, we find this thing that gives us an echo straight away, makes us look right to the end of the Gospel. This king, born a king the king of the Jews, is born a king and will die with that same name above his head. So in one sense we could say that the beginning, his birth, is just exactly that. The beginning here is just the beginning. It's the pointing towards the end. But in fact that doesn't capture it, does it? Because this isn't even the beginning. This is a king already. This is Jesus from eternity as spirit with God the Father, God the Spirit, now come in flesh now come as a human being, for a period of time. And at his birth he is announced to be the king of the Jews. At his death he will be killed because he is the king of the Jews. But you notice the other thing? Remember what we said about the Magi? The Magi are magicians, but also they're not Jews. So they've come to worship this one who they are calling the king of the Jews... But they're not seeing that as a bad thing or as a distant thing or as a fearful thing. They're saying, we've come to worship this one who is born king of the Jews. Now, we we don't know from these tiny verses here how much the Magi understood about who Jesus was and what that meant. But they see that although he's called the king of the Jews, he's not just a king for the Jews, but he is the king for them as well. So they come to praise and worship. Again, we get right at the start of this gospel. Matthew's gospel is a very Jewish gospel. But we get right here at the beginning what we'll see develop through the gospel and culminate in right at the end when Jesus says, now go and make disciples of the Jews. No, now go and make disciples of all nations. So yes, Jesus is called the king of the Jews, but he is the king for all nations. Nations, and therefore, it is good news not just for Jews, not just for the Magi, but for me and you this morning, who are mostly, I presume, not born by heritage Jews. Where is the one born king of the Jews? He's been born a king because he's king from eternity, he is the king of the Jews at his birth and will be at his death. But this is good news not just for Jews, but for all the world. That's our first freeze frame moment. Let's go to our second which comes from our teachers of the law. Herod, just notice this. So the Magi come to Herod and say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Herod goes to them to the teachers of the law, but he doesn't say, where is the one born king of the Jews? Do you notice what he says? He says, where is the Christ? Where will the Christ be born? Now Christ and Messiah, they are the same word. One is Greek, one is Hebrew. They, 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 they're the same word. They mean the promised one. The rest, this is the promised one of the Old Testament, who will come to rescue his people. Jesus' name wasn't, his surname wasn't Christ. When we call him Jesus Christ, that wasn't his surname, that's his title. He is the rescuer, he is the promised one, the Christ or the Messiah. So again, we don't know how much Herod knew, but he knew enough to connect these magi coming and saying, where is the one born king of the Jews? And he connected that to Messiah or Christ and said, where will the Christ be born? So the, um, the teachers of the law then turn to Micah chapter 5, just a few books before the end of the Old Testament in these prophecies that speak of one to come. Um, they know exactly where to go because they've seen this part of the script in an earlier film. This has been previewed, this has been foreshadowed, this has been talked about in the past, the one who will come. And back in Micah 5, it says this For out of you will come a ruler, out of you, Bethlehem, that is, will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So they're able to say, Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You need to go to look for him in Bethlehem. But notice what it says of who this person is, not just where he will be, but who he is. Do you notice that? He will come he, as a ruler. And he will be, please don't bar this time, he will be a shepherd. and You could bar, I don't mind. Um, he will be a ruler and he will shepherd my people Israel. And in fact, not just my people Israel, the Jews, but then the Gentiles, the whole world. And if they'd read just a little bit further, the very second half of that same verse will say this. Out of you will come from me one who will be ruled over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Remember what the Magi asked? Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? He's born king because he is eternal. That's what Micah 5 says. Whose origins are from old, from ancient times. If I jump a couple of verses and carry on in Micah, he will stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. This rescuer, this Christ, this Messiah, this King of the Jews will come as a ruler, as a shepherd, and he not just will bring peace, but he will be their peace. He will be their peace. So he is eternal, he is already king. To jump to a New Testament passage for us here from Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This eternal king is the creator and is over all rulers, all authorities. And he has come here in Matthew's Gospel to bring about that good news. He comes as that fulfillment to the promise in Micah 5, to to be ruler, to shepherd his people, comes from eternity into human existence for a period of time and then back into that eternal existence. He doesn't cease to be. And again, that points us, that peace idea, the fact that he will bring us peace, he will be our peace, sorry, brings us uh, to that eternal picture again. Here again, Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This eternal king, born a king, As we see his birth, we need to see his death. We need to see his mission. We need to see not just his death, actually, but his resurrection and his eternal life beyond because that is where he makes peace and brings you and me peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's two freeze-frame moments from the Magi and uh, there from from this passage in Micah. And the last one to look at, in terms of these freeze frames, is the gifts. So we know well that uh, the, uh, the wise men come and they bring, uh, these magi bring three gifts gold, incense, and myrrh. Now, those are sometimes li- uh, linked to all sorts of things gold to signify him as a king, and myrrh because that was for embalming bodies and so on. I think what's of great significance here, and we know this because Matthew is constantly finding Old Testament references and showing the fulfillment. Uh, is a passage here from Isaiah 60. Sorry if you can't quite read uh, the side of that. Let me read this to us. This is another, another passage of prophecy pointing forward to the Christ, pointing forward to the promised one who would come. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip then you will look and be radiant your heart will throb and swell with joy the wealth on the seas will be brought to you to the riches to you the riches of the nations will come is that sounding familiar herds of camels will cover your land young camels of midian and ephah and all of sheba will come bearing what gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the lord These magi are traveling with their gifts of gold and incense, and they are traveling in fulfillment of this Old Testament promise, another indicator that this is the very Christ, the very promised one who was to come. A time will come, Isaiah says, when nations will come to God's king. When other kings will come, they will bring the best of their produce, the best of their treasures, and they will bring them to this king, even this king as a baby. So what's the message here? What are we meant to see as the Magi bring their gifts? This prophecy is another that has come true. The king has come. This king promised for hundreds of years has come. It's now. He is the promised one. Don't blink and miss it. He is the one who is to come. And he brings good news for all the world. So... There are some freeze frame moments as we walk through. The final things I want to do is to look at the reactions of our cast members to see how they respond and reflect, I hope, then on our own responses. Three reactions for us to see then. Firstly, Herod. I mean, Herod's the obvious Bond villain, isn't he? He doesn't exactly come out of this story well. Uh, Herod is bitter, he's jealous, he's fearful, he's scared, he's angry. Initially, he, you know, he kind of is deceitful. He tries to trick them into saying, come back and let me know where he is so I can come and worship him. But fundamentally, he is hostile to the message of this new king on the block. And ultimately, in the bit just beyond what we read, as I mentioned earlier on, his fear, his anger, his hostility lead to mass genocide as he issues orders to murder any, any boy under two in Bethlehem. He can't tolerate the idea of this king coming along and usurping him. There can't possibly be a greater king than me. I'm the king. The risk of letting this king be king was too great. So he sees off that potential threat or tries to see off that potential threat. So outright hostility from Herod. <clears throat> The second of our cast members who we need to notice their response is the religious leaders. They play a rather, a rather subtler part. They're in the story only briefly, but let's notice what they do. And importantly, let's notice what they don't do. They've got all the knowledge that is needed. Herod comes to them and says, where will the Christ be born? And they immediately go, yep, we've got that, Micah 5, there we go, Bethlehem. Off you go. No problem, they point straight to the right Chapter and verse. But what do they then do with that information? Well, so far as we know, nothing other than pass on the answer. It's like, what's the crossword clue? Bethlehem. In it goes. Great. But in terms of doing anything with it, well, they don't appear again in the story. There's no sense that they are moved by it. They are, so far as we can see, indifferent. They pass on their scripture-based answer and that's it. They carry on their business. They are emotionally and physically unmoved. It's about five miles to Bethlehem. It's a bit like walking to Foss Park. And, and so far as we know, not even out of curiosity do they walk to Foss Park to discover if this really is the promised one, despite all they know about who this could be. They make no effort to go and check out the story. So they are indifferent So there's outward hostility from Herod, theologically correct answers, but indifference from the religious leaders. Now there's one more reaction to come, but before we do, let's just pause there. Hostility and indifference. I just wonder, do either of those reactions feel familiar to any of us? Maybe you're here this morning but actually would much rather not be, maybe I don't know, that could apply to young people who are here with parents and feel you're being dragged here, Uh, it it could apply to to any of us adults who who are here actually because we're kind of keeping up appearances, we'd rather not be almost but actually we kind of think we need to keep coming because what if we don't, what would people think of us, we're here more out of habit than anything else but actually we're daydreaming and switching off and kind of looking forward to what comes next. Maybe, maybe you've had a really tough year. Maybe things have been conspiring against you and you're thinking, where is God in this? And actually, if you're honest, there's anger, there's hostility in your heart towards God for letting these things happen. Maybe you know plenty of Bible stories, but it stops there. You could stand up and you could, could repeat things that, you've, that you know, you could give all the right Sunday school answers, but actually, does it connect Is it connecting today in in your heart? Is it connecting today in mine? Or maybe it never has. Maybe it's always just slightly washed over you. Maybe it has in the past, but actually a coldness, a lukewarmness has come upon us. And that first passion, that love that we had, that enthusiasm for Jesus has dissipated. Maybe we can relate to the theologically knowledgeable teachers of the law Those who were guilty of having lots of knowledge but little love for God. Other people might think well of us. They might think no, that we know our Bibles well. But actually, does it make any difference in life? Or is it that we know Bible references and stories? We're well read, the Bible and Christian books, but our hearts are not moved by who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. I don't know what it might be for you, but I confess I can find parts of those playing in my heart. And if we feel any of those, I'd just encourage us not to ignore those feelings today. Don't ignore those feelings in our hearts. Pray about it. Talk to someone. Maybe, could you find someone to meet up with who you could just read the Bible with together? Maybe you don't know anyone who you could do that with. Come and talk to me. I'd love to do it with you. But I could certainly find someone else as well. Don't settle with those things going on in your hearts. Whether it's hostility, whether it's indifference... Take that as a warning sign. Uh, Look at who this Jesus really is and do something with it. Finally, let's look at the last reaction, which is that of the Magi, a rather more positive one for us. They come, as we saw at the beginning, they come to worship this king, this one born a king, and then they come to the place where he is in Bethlehem and their reaction is absolutely fantastic. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, it tells us in verse 10. Now, overjoyed is quite a positive word, isn't it? But actually, when you look at what this should say, I think, it rather downplays it. They were overjoyed. Okay, great, I get overjoyed. It's it's generous, isn't it? But actually, the way that it's here, it, it is exuberant, far beyond that. Let me give you the ESV's version. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Isn't that brilliant? They rejoiced not just a bit, they rejoiced exceedingly, and not just with joy, but with great joy. I mean, this was mind-blowingly brilliant to them, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They come to where Jesus is, and they are bowled over by it. They are literally bowed down on their knees, praising this king. In fact, they're like this before they've even gone in and met him then they go in then they give him their gifts then they bow down and they they bow down and praise him then they present their gifts and they're really significant gifts we've talked about that already but these are generous things they are treasures things that would be treasured by them things that are of value to them they're not coming in and giving a, you know, a moldy old sandwich and a cup of tea. They're coming in with their gold, with their frankincense, with their myrrh. Things of great value because they recognize that this king is of even greater value. And this king should be of greater value to them and to us. So he is worth celebrating and praising. He is worth bowing down. It's right that we bow down before him and that they do. And that they give him these wonderful treasures. So we thought then about the other reactions, didn't we? Hostility and indifference. We wondered, do they feel familiar to us? What about this reaction? Does the reaction of the Magi feel familiar to us? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't think they're restraining themselves. I don't think they're sitting there going, yeah, I've seen this before. Yeah, it's a good one. They are rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Does that resonate for us? Do we rejoice exceedingly with great joy? We're about to sing a wonderful carol. Oh, come, let us adore him, we'll sing. And we'll sing that we are joyful and joyful. Triumphant. In fact, I think we're joyful because we are triumphant. Triumphant because we are in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in him. You are on the triumphant side. Victory is is ours because we're in him. This Jesus, born a king, came to save sinners. Magicians and whatever we are, he came to seek and to save us. And if we are trusting in him, then we are saved. And this is exceedingly great news. So we could rejoice, we should rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now I don't say that to make us feel guilty. Of course we fall short, don't we, of that standard. But what a mark to aim for. Imagine aiming for that. Don't just be like chuffed that Jesus is good and that we're in him. Rejoice exceedingly with great joy because he is this king. And he is not just the king out there somewhere, he is my king and your king if you trust him. In Him? Could we aim for worship and outpouring of joy, for joy in our hearts, no matter what life circumstances bring, that deep joy in our hearts because we are safe in Him? It doesn't come easily, does it? Life's worries get us down. Like it feels distant, it's, it can feel theologically cold, and what have you. How can we cultivate that in our hearts? I'm sure there's much that we could do. It'd be a great conversation to have over a coffee or to have, if you're having friends around for lunch or whatever this Christmas time, how can we cultivate a greater joy in our hearts for Jesus? Well, let me just say, I would want to encourage us, I've been challenged and encouraged this week, to, to just think about this this Christmas time. Can I reflect, can we reflect together on this wonderful, eternal Jesus, born a king, come for all the world, even for sinners like me and you? So that through his death on the cross, his resurrection, back to life for eternity, we are with him. He has smashed through death. He has brought new life for all of us. Can we aim for rejoicing exceedingly with great joy? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is king, not just of the Jews, and not in the past, but he is the king for us in the present. And we pray that you might help us this Christmas time to rejoice exceedingly with great joy in the wonderful Lord Jesus. Amen.